For December 14th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 76, Degrees of Blindness. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, in a survivalist compound, 400 acres off the grid, well water, electricity generated by a propane generator, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere, connected to America, uh, also known as my dad's place. Connected to America only by the thinnest of DSL lines. I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here to overthink uh, the popular culture with you and specifically listener feedback. That's right. It is a listener feedback episode where we read your emails and mock you mercilessly. No, uh, not going to mock you mercilessly. Um, I actually feel kind of bad for doing that because the last listener call voicemail that we mocked mercilessly was uh, Robin, Robin from Oakland. Uh, who it actually turns out is Robin from Twitter, who helped us get our new Twitter name, Overthinking It. That's right. You can follow us on the Twitters at www.twitter.com slash overthinking it. We got it. We got that dead account. It now right. belongs to us. Yes. Victory is mine. Victory is uh. mine. Great day uh. in the morning, people. Donna, bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. Anyone? Today. Anyone? We celebrate our Independence Day. No, I, I, mine, was a, mine was a West Wing reference. I thought Josh might be on it, but but perhaps he's muted. Yeah, I, I like Mark better. Sorry, I, I wanted you to have to admit it. <laughs> yes, it's. Uh, I think it's the second episode. Um, anyway, so let's uh, let's launch right into it. Uh, question of the day for the panel, and our first uh, our first letter actually has something to do with the question. Question question of the day for the panel. Have you ever written a letter uh, to the editor? And if so, why? First, in the alphabet, from the back of a moving taxi cab via cell phone, (laughs) it is Mr. Peter Fenzel. Pete. (laughs) To be fair, it's not a taxi cab. The people drive, I was only referring to them metaphorically as such. They're actually good friends. Yay, can you narrate where you are for us? Can you tell us uh, where, you know, what are the landmarks that are passing? I am literally crossing the Charles River right now as I'm heading into Cambridge from Boston, and you can just feel the surge of self-importance that hits you in the face as soon as you cross into Cambridge, oh, which, which, which bridge? Are you coming up, are you coming up uh, to Central, or are you going across? Yeah, we're coming up to Central. We, we came across Western Ave, I think, and we're at Putnam, Western and Putnam right now. Where's this River Street? It's, uh, River. River Street. I've been informed <laughs> by the person who's not a cab driver, but in fact an awesome improv comedian. We're, we're coming back from the annual Herald Night uh, holiday party. Um, you remember, remember last year I podcasted live from the party, um, but this year the party was kind of over, and I would have been by myself with a cat in it that I'm allergic to. So I decided I would come home and try to podcast from here. But it was a little slow in the uptake. But anyway, uh, answering your, your is, is your Is your driver a podcast subscriber? Um, the driver is, is the driver a podcast subscriber? Uh, no, I am not, but I'm an overthinking it reader. A reader, a reader, uh, someone who's familiar with the site, somebody who has not yet discovered the wonders of the podcast, but after this may very well do so, if only perhaps to hear her own name mentioned on the air, which the, is exciting for her, I'm sure. Join the literally. Tell Sam and I say hi. 
Okay. Join the literally dozens of people who have. Hey, John. All right, let's get off this. Uh, let's get off this circle jerk. Pete, answer the question. Um, okay, so um, oh, hold on just a second. If you take a right on Franklin, we'll get to Pearl Street. That's a couple blocks down, and that's my street. And if you can take on right, we'll get there. All right. So, can you still hear me? You still there? Yep. And now we okay. all know where you live. <laughs> I can give you my latitude and longitude if I know it. All right. I was so angry because the one letter that I wrote uh, prior to one that I wrote more recently that wasn't as angry was to Anderson Cooper. Because during the California wildfires, and I may have told this story before, one of about the California wildfires, he had on a person who ran an animal shelter for animals who were dispossessed by the California wildfires, and he phoned in the interview like nobody's business. He was just like looking at the teleprompter, doing his thing, and he asked her at the end of the interview, actually talked about just great work. I don't want to impugn this person personally uh, in this regard. Saving the animals, keeping them safe, the ones that get left behind when people evacuate their homes that are on fire because of the fires that are wild. Um, And at the end of the interview, he said, is there any one thing that you want people to remember about what to do in the event of a fire-related emergency? And she said, yes. The first thing that you should do when you sense that there's a fire near your house is go get your pets. And this made me so angry. Take it right here, please. Uh, this made me so angry because I remember when I was a kid that, the, that they told you, don't go back for the dog. Get out of the house. Get, you know, get on, your, on your hands and knees so that you don't hear the smoke. It's on Lawrence Street. So if you keep going a little bit, it's like it's maybe about four blocks. I'll show you where it is. Um, <laughs> don't go back for the dog. Stay below the smoke line. Stop dropping roll if you catch on fire. But don't go back. You know, don't go back for the pets. Your life is not worth a pet's hey, life. Don't even, go, don't even go back up. for your little sister. No, just get out of there. Let the firemen handle it. They're professionals. They'll deal with it. Exactly. Like, don't, don't try to be a hero. You know, your job is to save yourself. You can't help anybody else in the event of your house being on fire. You have literally minutes until the smoke becomes too much for you to handle. All right, Pete. Um, well, it's actually you, in front of the bus stop right here. You actually, uh, <laughs> One more. You, can, you can hop off the call now. We'll see you on Skype in about 10 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> okay. And we will move on. Right Thank you, Pete. Mark Lee. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, I'm not in a moving vehicle, actually, unless you count the planet Earth as one massive vehicle moving through space. I suppose we could. That's you know, kind of a very philosophical way to think about it. Uh, but the, the um, I don't have a really good, you know, specific actually writing into the editor thing. But the closest thing I can come up with in recent memory is a comment which I wrote on the um, on a on somewhere on the New York Times website. It was an article about you know, as well, there's a lot of articles in, in the New York Times about gentrification in New York and how. Um, you know, how much the city had changed and all that kind of stuff. And some commenters are going on about, oh, I miss New York in the 80s and it was real and, you know, it was gritty and it wasn't so expensive to live here. And that really just, like, rubbed me the wrong way. So I wrote this excoriating comment um, telling people to get stop living in the past and stop romanticizing the, the cocaine and crime-ridden, not cocaine, crack cocaine, rhyme, crime-ridden, uh, filthy New York City of old and to get with the program and stop trying to romanticize something that really isn't worth romanticizing. And um, much to my pleasure, that comment was pulled out as a pull quote and was you know, prominently displayed on the right-hand side of the New York Times website in the perhaps the New York City you know, local metropolitan area section as the comment of the day or the, um, you know, the voice, the vox populi of the commenters. So that was wow. my most recent um, you know, that was that was my that was my first, you know, brush at, you know, getting on the New York Times before, you know, before it kind of hit the big time with overthinking it and got, you know, the peak, the peak rock article on the Freakonomics yeah. blog 
you know, before then, I was how I, you know, got myself in New York Times writing comments. Well, you got yourself, up, you, you know, liked it so much up. the first time, you got yourself back in the New York Times. Yeah, that's right. You know, I figured, you know, the great lady, you know, it's good enough for me. You know, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big new media super, so I can, you know, I can let the old media get a little piece of Mark Lee every do you once want to in a narrate, while. Uh, do you want to narrate where you are, like what you're passing in your car? Who, me? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in a moving vehicle unless uh, you count the planet Earth as a moving vehicle. No, I, I heard that. I just thought you might want to say, you know, looking out over Park Slope, I see there's, uh, you know, there's the, the subway stop and there's the. Um... Uh, I can't quite see the subway stop from here, though. It was only about like 20 yards from where I live. Um, Lucky man. But, you must drive your rent up. Uh, this, it's this, not so bad, actually. Podcast, this podcast has become very reminiscent of a Ted Leo song all of a sudden, just narrating <laughs> neighborhoods. <laughs> in fact, there's a very specific Ted Leo song that's reminiscent you of, cannot, uh, of Bridges actually, Square. If you want to hear us do the same thing about Los Angeles, you can go back to the Karate Kid podcast, which is called A Map of Los Angeles. You can find that at overthinking.com <laughs> slash, uh, slash podcast. Anyway, moving on in the alphabet. Uh, Mr. Josh McNeil. Uh, also not in a moving car. No, but uh, to my left is a wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you were to turn left at that wall, there would be a wall. And to your right is a Bowflex. It's, tr- it's sadly not true. <laughs> it's a giant pile of fatty foods. Um, <laughs> I have uh, actually sort of written letters to the editor professionally for many years. Uh, working in politics, that's sort of a, a way to make it appear that the public is with you on any given thing is, is you, you, you know, find a supporter and write a letter and ask them to send it in, which I think is about like 90% of the letters to editors that actually get published. So I don't really have a favorite. So I I thought I'd give, give a suggestion to our, our listeners. If you want to mess with people, uh, there is a, a, a very, serious dearth of people writing letters to the editor they are looking for you they're desperate for you to send letters to the editor because they want to fill that space and frankly can't pay professional reporters to fill it anymore so uh as long as you sort of reference an article that they've written at some point and keep it to under 250 words you can get almost anything printed in anything other than like the new york times or you know one of the major major dailies yeah 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 if you go down like one level, it's a pretty fun way to mess with your friends. Um, <laughs> and I would encourage all of you to do that and hopefully, you know, mention us uh, in a variety of places. Good, <laughs> good advice. Moving on to Mr. John Perich. Uh, letter to the editor, sir. What up, what up, what up? So, what up, letter- what up, what up? No, what Uh, So my letter to the editor was a letter to my college paper, the Boston College Heights, but I wrote it about three years after I graduated, interestingly enough. So a bit of backstory. Uh, Former uh, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice got uh, delivered the commencement speech at the 2006 graduation for Boston College and received an honorary degree. And there were a couple of professors on the faculty who protested that, including one of the one of the Jesuit fathers who taught there and one of the sociology professors, etc. And it, it made like some small local news at the time. And I, I saw the <clears throat> saw the article. And in fact, I while other people were talking, was able to find the letter to the editor that I wrote online because the BC Heights are completely archived. So I can I can read it for you now. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
In the May 4th issue, you mentioned Reverend David Hollenbach, S.J., and Kenneth Himes' letter protesting Condoleezza Rice's honorary degree on the grounds of, quote, Boston College's commitment to the values of the Catholic and Jesuit traditions, close quote. And then I go on. Thank God people like Hollenbach and Himes are defending the traditional Catholic values of excoriating one's political enemies. I vaguely remember being taught that forgiving those who trespass against us is the heart of the Christian faith, but apparently I'm thinking of something else. It would clearly be far more Christian to condemn Rice and score some easy political points than to forgive her. John Parrish, Boston College, 2003. Sick okay. burn. Sick, Sick burn. Take that! Ah! Jesuit burn! So yeah, that was, that was my letter to you. <laughs> I, I, Ignatius I, I, I Loyola is, you know, rolling over in his grave. I totally burned some Jesuits, which happens so rarely because they're usually oh. pretty ah. sound. They're usually burning others is is the real story. So we've been we've been going we've been going kind of in reverse order of audience, right? So Pete started with um, Pete started with television, the largest audience. Mark went to the New York Times, uh, a smaller audience. Josh went to a second tier paper, uh, yet a smaller audience. John went to a college paper, uh, yet a smaller audience. I am going to go all the way back to high school. And my uh, my high school paper, Crossfire, the uh, <laughs> the paper of um, the paper of Crossroads School for Arts and Sciences in Santa Monica, California, and I am going to uh, tell you about the letter to the editor that I uh, that I wrote when I was a freshman in college. That's right, I was reading my high school paper when I was a freshman in college. And there was this, um, oh, there was this hateful kid who, like, uh, my school had a, had a gay club that wasn't, it was like an activism club, a gay-straight alliance, right? And, um, and this, this hateful little freshman wrote an article about what an awful thing the gay club was. And I thought, like, God, don't we want tolerance and understanding in the, uh, don't we want tolerance and understanding? Hi, Pete, you're here. Yes, I'm, I'm back. I'm sorry for my disorganized uh, state before, but hopefully that's the kind of listener experience you don't get from somebody. <laughs> you don't get that from those more professionally produced, um, from those more professionally produced podcasts. Um, anyway, I just exactly. thought that this—I exactly. just thought that this lack of toleration was, you know, I don't know, was. Uh, uh, Fairly, fairly awful. And I wrote a letter to my what? my uh, my high school, especially for a, such a freaking liberal. Uh, you know, it was right. The uh, the the Democrats were considered far, far to the right of the political spectrum of this high school that I went to. Matthew, would you say you consider that situation of intoleration intolerable? <laughs> uh, no, what's the what's the word? Non-toleration or something like that? I don't know. An- I mean, anti-hate? Can yeah, we call it hate? hate. Yeah, it, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think so, you know. Not that everyone has to agree with you. I mean, I think that's not, you know, not that everyone right, has right. to subscribe to your politics. But I think that, like, you know, I think that, like, this was sort of a, a uh, this was like a moral attack on the rights, you know, saying that, like, a what do they call these groups like alliances right that the straight alliances yeah. uh had had no right to exist on uh you know at a high school 
Um, this, this I think called out for a little, uh, this I think called, called out for comment. And, um, it's, and I actually like, I, I lump that in with, with, uh, like parents who say that their, their kid's school, you know, can't produce, I don't know what, what's a, what's a play that, you know, the high school drama hair. departments do. hair exactly perfect like because you know the 60s are hippies i mean not that i guess you can't do the nudity in hair uh with underage children but um yeah uh anyway <laughs> you got lost in that one for a while <laughs> yeah i was trying to think my way out of that out mad of that mad 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 <laughs> uh, but but still even though you can't even though it is wrong to you know perform hair with underage children still i stick to the righteousness of my of my position anyway i was such a loser and i i uh i wrote into my my high school paper saying like hey can't we all get along guys you know anyway good fun Good Did you invoke your awesome authority as an alumnus of your prestigious school? Well, I think it was... writing in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're signed, you know, Matthew Rather, 1998 or something like that, you know. <laughs> All right, let's launch into the uh, feedback. Uh, pausing only to say that you are, um, you are welcome to submit more feedback. Uh, oh, a couple words about what we're up to. Um, we're, we're gonna, we're not taking a break for the holidays. So there will be overthinking and podcast episodes all the way through into the new year. Um, next week is, uh, is what is going to be the avatar episode. We're actually, we're recording at a special time. We'll release at the normal time though. So just like normal. And then after, uh, after Christmas and after new year's, there will be episodes, uh, just like you've come to expect from this your favorite podcast we're on twitter at a new address i think i mentioned that it's overthinking it now it is no longer over tweeting it so you can unfollow over tweeting it and follow overthinking it uh we uh if you want to send in your own listener feedback uh avatar or your avatar reviews if you uh if you get it in before sunday morning um we we could play some avatar reviews or read some avatar reviews uh, on the podcast, if you want to make your voice heard, it's podcast at overthinkingit.com or uh, call the voicemail, which is 20 eat log zero one. <laughs> That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. All right, let's uh, let's launch in here. Oh, anything else? Anything else I want to say? Oh, yes. Right. And then. Um, uh, after Christmas, we'll, we'll publish articles up until Christmas. After Christmas, there will be a podcast, but we will be on new article hiatus until the new year. We'll return on January 4th, which I think is a Monday, with uh, Simpsons Week, a week of articles about The Simpsons leading up to the 20th anniversary special of The Simpsons that following Sunday, and we'll have a, um, we'll have a podcast, I think, about that 20th anniversary special uh, the fu- that uh, the day after it airs that that should be out. I won't I won't be on it because I'm on the West Coast, but all the East Coast peeps can uh, can record a podcast together. So if you have thoughts about the Simpsons, also that you want to share, get them in. Uh, you know, before the first week of the year of the new year, uh, to podcast at overthinkingit.com or twenty eat log <laughs> eat log zero one two zero three two eight five six four zero one. All right, that's it for now for the housekeeping. Let's launch into it. Alex, uh, who is uh, who I think we've mentioned before because he sends us extremely abusive emails in all caps. 
um, and then also donated to the show. So, we, Alex, we are happy to take your abuse. Keep it coming, my friend. Uh, writes, hey, dogs, your intro thing where you ask the panel questions is pretty lame. <laughs> Maybe you do that to let everyone know who everyone is, but it's pretty lame. Do something else. I actually, I should read it the way it is. Uh, I should read it the way it is with, um, you know, with no, uh, <laughs> with no punctuation. Maybe you do that to let everyone, maybe you do that to let everyone know who everyone is, but it's pretty lame. Do something else. Period. You will never take this advice. It's been like 70 episodes. It's not going to stop now. <laughs> Nothing will ever end. Life is meaningless. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. (laughs) Alex writes in something else as well. Hey, I was listening to podcast 57 where you were talking about girls constantly screaming during concerts. I think we were talking about the Beatles or something like that. Uh, Alex says, hey, I have an idea for a game. Play clips of girls screaming at concerts mixed with clips of girls screaming during adult films. He doesn't write adult (laughs) films, but what he writes, I won't say on this podcast. And have the panel try to guess which is which. This might be a little too risque for your show. I don't know. But it's a really good idea. Which is in all caps. Now, yes. let me jump in here. Really, Alex, really good idea. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I don't know what type of adult films or concerts that you go to. But my experience has been that the types of screaming that happen at those two different venues is quite different. So... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> did the Jonas but did the Jonas Brothers go on Skinamax ever? Because we might be able to find some crossover. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I'm no, perhaps terrible. Alex yeah, has. Speaking of underage people performing in hair, no, oh, talk about hair. Those kids need to cut their hair. Those rock and roll kids. Ah, Jeez. cut your hair, you hippie. Yeah, freaking evangelical hippie. Wait, no, <laughs> that's a contradiction. <laughs> no, but what, what are they? Should we? How about this? Should we stop doing the question for the introduction thing? just to prove Alex wrong and to give him some hope that things can change and that life is not meaningless. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to put on our little shtick. <laughs> Alex, podcast. we want you to live. I feel like we should do it yeah, we're still gonna do we should, the- At one point, we should try to do something else. Now, it's not just not do it. We have to do something else. That's what he says, right? Do something else. Do something else, yeah. How else? Yeah. Okay, let's open it up. Alex, come on. Don't be a hater. Give some constructive situa- suggestions. We have a lot of, like, imperatives. We want to, you know, launch into overthinking pop culture right away, so we don't just want to introduce people. Though apparently we do want to give, uh, give directions. Driving around. directions to yeah. my house. It's very important to find my house. <laughs> That's as bad as the time Mark gave his address on the Time Travel <laughs> podcast. Uh, I don't really live at that address anymore. I don't live at that address anymore. So if you go back and listen to that one, you're not going to find me there. Yeah, so time travelers, you're going to have to find Mark and Park Slope. But, you know, don't be a hater, Alex. Come on. Like, give us, give us some, some advice. We have to introduce everyone, but we don't want to – we want everyone to say something about pop culture instead of just being, hi, I'm glad to be here. It's really nice to be podcasting with you all. We want actual, we want actual content right away in the show. So, you know, if you have another way of doing it. And, uh, oh, putting time limits on it won't work. Time limits on us are just – it's a losing battle with, uh, <laughs> with this crowd. So you can't do that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I made a joke on the back channel that I will not share. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Sean writes in. Uh, 
latitude and longitude. We're getting lazy with the lat long, guys. We want your latitude and longitude, or as, as I guess, as someone put it, the ICBM address. Um, I actually got when when Robin and I, Robin from Twitter and I, were corresponding about the uh, the new overthinking it Twitter name. He actually gave me the latitude and longitude of his desk uh, at, at Twitter. Um, but hey, we have uh, we have overthinking it listeners in many places, and uh, Robin, we we salute you. Da 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 da. All right, Sean. No, uh, no city, no latitude and longitude. Come on, Sean. Two ideas for your consideration. I hate stereotypes in media, especially in sitcoms. Wow, going out on a political limb there, Sean. Stereotypes <laughs> are bad. Uh, they do make life easy, however. Anyway, Sean continues. There are several ethnic group-oriented sitcoms that are not just awful, but god-awful. Not to mention Will and Grace. I'm having trouble parsing the syntax of that sentence, Sean. But Wait, is he saying Will and Grace is an ethnic sitcom? No, I think it's god awful. I think oh, it's, it's, it's god awful. Not what? just awful, but god awful. Not to mention Will and Grace, as though that's like god god awful. So wait, so like that's like it's like a climax. There's awful, god awful, and Will and Grace awful. Yeah. If, if he, he said Dar- if he said Dharma and Greg, I would have followed it. This is antithesis <laughs> synthesis. Okay. All right. Um, moving on. However, I think my dislike comes not only from a discomfort with the latent racism or bigotry, but more so from how lazy the writing is when characters are one-dimensional caricatures of these stereotypes. Uh, okay, so I can, I can jump in and, and comment here. Okay. Uh, he, he didn't call out, he didn't call out sitcoms in particular, but I'm, pres- I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess since I don't know that many ethnic group-oriented sitcoms, I presume he means things like the, the George Lopez show or Tyler Perry's sitcom, like House of Pain, I believe it's called. Uh, are, are there any other ethnic group sitcoms that, yeah. that podcasts we know of? Yeah. Stay in? And Did Homeboys you? in Outer Space. What? <laughs> oh, yes. no, yeah, and like Homeboys Living, living yeah. Single and stuff like that, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, so there's there's those, and... I don't know. I mean, I, Sean, I, I think you're underestimating how immensely popular those sitcoms are among the, the ethnic groups depicted therein. Like, Tyler Perry's House of Pain was, I believe at one point, you know, the most popular sitcom not on, not on broadcast TV. It was the most popular sitcom on cable, simply because it was so, so immensely well-watched. What channel is I can't that? Speak, I can't speak to uh, TBS. I can't speak to the George Lopez show because I, you know, I don't, I've never seen it and I haven't heard that much of it, but it's still on despite the fact that I don't think George Lopez is very funny. So it has to have some audience. So I, I think, I think these George shows Lopez show has very o- good numbers, by the way, George Lopez show is very popular. People, people yes. do like it. It's very successful. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So, I, I mean, these, these shows are finding an audience and it can't be entirely just, just white folks like laughing at the four fifths right, of the podcast. The yeah. Like as though it were a minstrel show or something. Right. It, it can't just be entirely white folks left looking down on it, keeping it live. It has to be having some traction among its target audience. So, I, among, uh, as yeah, to, among, I mean, among a target audience of the ethnicity depicted. Right. As, as to why that's the case, as to, as to why something can seem insulting to us but appropriate to them, that's, I mean, that, that's fodder for, you know, a master's thesis in, in sociology and race, not just, you know, a podcast. But it's, it's the sort of thing that has been seen before. So, eh. I want to make one additional comment about um, 
ethnic stereotypes. You want to weigh in, in on the, the ethnic stereotypes? I'm shocked. Big surprise, <laughs> right? Big surprise. Yeah, token minority here has got something to say. Token minority gets something to say. Um, no, I'm not. Oh, I thought it was because you were Asian. What's that? Go ahead, Mark. He just okay. called you Asian. Are you going to take that sitting down? Uh, Mark, Mark, go ahead, go ahead and say your piece, Mark. Are you going to take that bowing politely? (laughs) Guys, gosh. Okay, Um, it's not so much about like the Tyler Perry type of sitcom type thing, but um, I was watching on Netflix. Netflix has recently added a bunch of old Saturday Night Live um, Saturday Night Live shows to their uh, instant streaming collection. And one of them was like a John Belushi best of real. And what surprised me a lot, looking back at that, was the, I don't know if you guys remember this, the Samurai Night Fever and the Samurai Delicatessen sketches. Yep. Oh, yeah. I remember those. Yeah. And, and, and watching this, I was like, wow. Like, you can't really do that on TV these days. I would hope you wouldn't be able to. I mean, because it's like, it's a straight up kind of, you know, yellow face performance, right? I mean, John Belushi's got, you know, some sort of, you know, Japanese samurai-ish you know, makeup and costume going on. He speaks in this pigeon like, you know, that sort of like awful, you know, gibberish, you know, you know, language is trying to mimic Japanese. Um, all these things I was, I was watching it. Maybe I'm just hypersensitive to it, but I was like, whoa, like this was totally acceptable and considered very funny. In fact, it's probably still in some ways considered classic humor um, from Saturday Night Live and John Belushi. But it is straight up yellow face, right? I mean, you really, I, I would hope I would hope that that's not acceptable today. Anybody? No, it certainly, it certainly wouldn't be. I mean, this is the thing. Look, it's it's one thing to talk about shows that are on the air today, but I think you have to. I think things have to be considered in the context of their time, and not, you know, not in the context of our time. You know. What oh I mean? yeah, definitely. You know, I'm not not judging. You know, that act at, at the time. I'm just. It was just very revealing to see how much standards have changed. Hey, yeah. Can I jump in? Can I jump in with sure. something? There's a moment. Um, I mean, I don't want to interrupt. I, I would never, ever want to interrupt. Interrupting on this show would be bad. Moving um, right along. <laughs> oh no, no, no. So I would say it's important to. All right, so what Sean is saying, he's not saying that he's upset that they're racist. He's saying he's upset that the writing is lazy. Now, one important thing to note on a lot of these sitcoms is that a lot, and I've watched a lot of these sitcoms, like like a fair number of episodes of things like Living Single and stuff like that. And the people in the sitcoms tend to be fairly like upwardly mobile, successful folks. Um, like even the Wayans Brothers sitcom. Um, right, like they they were pretty good at what they were doing. Like they had a small business. Um, the 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 stereotypes that are being expressed are not the ones that are the most damaging um, to the considerations of hey, these Uncle, people. Uncle Phil lived in Bel Air. <laughs> well, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is a perfect example. I mean, it's a. I mean, of course, it's more of a mainstream crossover hit. But like, you're you're taking the what you're doing is you're taking the Cosby Show and you're making a whole bunch of genre sitcoms that are similar to the Cosby Show in their basic basic template. You know, we have a minority family that's financially successful and really acts like sitcom audiences expect to see a white family to act in a lot of ways um, that we don't really think about because they just sort of slide in under the radar. You know, the sort of like the, the sort of come home from work paternalistic dad figure who's a little bit head-packed and tries to be a little bit funny and all this other stuff. Um, I mean, I think that it's a legitimate accusation of these shows that the writing is really, really, really formulaic sometimes. Like, I found that the the quality of those shows tends to vary greatly. Now, granted, I am so dismissive of mainstream sitcoms and, uh, and a 
like, you know, according to Jim and even like, you know, uh, two and a half men, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I tend to like, I think two and a half men has its moments, maybe, but like King of Queens, I make fun of all the time. I guess it has its moments, maybe, but those are like the mainstream hits and they're still pretty derivative. Uh, I think that, yes, there's a certain amount of, we want our audience to identify as easily as possible with these people. So we're going to include like stereotype jokes about this thing that is present in their lives. But I think there's, there's, there's also a degree to which like, we're trying to do this fast. We're trying to do this cheap. And it may not be the best writers that are on this show that you can find. Like, it's not like there's this huge group of, like, super experienced, super great sitcom writers that you can just, like, pull anyone from and be like, hey, write about the black experience. You know what I mean? Like, sitcoms are a tough genre to write. And I think that when you're making a second-run sitcom, there's a possibility it's not going to be very good. Although I did mention something before that I'll mention really fast again, which is that um, – Think about the continuum, and I, this is something I got out of uh, understanding comics, that, that, which, and it's something that you can attribute to so many different kinds of art. Think about the continuum between things that are iconographic versus representational, right? Things that are symbols that are telling you to understand them immediately. Like, they make an immediate impression. You immediately know what it means. It tends to be simple. You know, it tends to be something that stands out versus things that are more layered, more textured, uh, more real. Like hyper real is one direction they can go in, but also an imitation, uh, an attempt to re- represent something rather than just present the ideas that are behind it. Hey, can um, you give examples of each for readers who haven't seen or listeners who haven't read Understanding Comics? Yeah, sure. I'll give a great. I'll give. I'll give an example. Um, think about uh, if you ever. Well, think think about like uh, the comic books, right? Like or the comic, the funny pages. When you look at Charlie Brown. You know, all the characters in Charlie Brown are very iconic. There are a couple of pen strokes that are used to express the character's personality, who the character is. You instantly see Charlie Brown. You sort of know who he is. Now, he has a certain amount of complexity but as a character, but um, his impression on the page is very easily spotted. Um, and then compare that to, like, if you go to a museum and you see a painting of somebody where, like, every hair on their head is drawn in, like, precise detail. Like, say, one of those paintings where it's, like, someone from antiquity engaged in this elaborate, you know, murder ritual or or something. I mean, on the funny pages, even some of the old, like, soap opera comics, right? Yeah. I mean, a great example is contrast Peanuts with Prince Valiant, right? Yeah, You guys know Prince Valiant? Prince Valiant is a representational comic strip where the, he goes to a lot of trouble to s- sketch in the sort of agonized details of the faces like the muscles on the horses are there um it's supposed to be a suggestion of sort of a sweeping uh, f- like fantastical medieval world and by looking at one picture you're supposed to be able to sort of visualize the whole world that's behind it right um that like prince valiant adventures through these crazy places and here's one picture of a place he might go to and it's got like a thousand bricks in the castle and there's like a bunch of a bunch of soldiers outside that have their armor where the scales are individually drawn and then compare it to Snoopy lying on his, on his doghouse and it's like 10 lines, right? And you know what Snoopy is doing on the doghouse instantly and you absorb it instantly. There's only so much information it can communicate to you, but it's something that you, that you absorb very quickly. So Pete, right? could connect this back up to the point that you were making about these sitcoms. So, so one of the little rules about this sort of continuum is that the more iconic you make things, the easier they are to digest for your audience. And the more representational you make them, the harder it is for you to automatically digest it, right? 
Uh, and, and that means you have to look at a Prince Valiant comic strip for longer to understand it. And you have to look at a Peanuts comic strip. You can look at a Peanuts comic strip for like five minutes and you instantly get it. Now you can go back and you can appreciate some of the finer points because Schultz is a master. But like a Peanuts comic strip is an easy, very fun, very simple. I get the point of it immediately. And a big part of that is that all the pictures are iconic and they are representational. They're not attempting to imitate reality. They're not attempting to present um, detail in a, in a way that, that um, copies something. Or, or gives you a picture of something. Whereas Prince Valiant, he doesn't, he's not like an allegory. He's not an, uh, char- he has a character, he's a little tough to play sometimes. Um, he's, he's trying to do a little more world building, trying to do something that's a little bit more realistic uh, in that sense. So it takes longer. No, like when you were a kid, you didn't want to read, you know, freaking Mary Worth, right? Because Mary Worth's boring. And, and, and I think part of that is that the pictures were too realistic. Um, you know, like you don't want to like, and Mary Worth is, is less representational than Prince Valiant, but it's another example, right? And if you ever see a comic book that's done with photographs, um, that's even harder to read because it's tough to tell exactly what's going on. So to tie it back, think about a show like, um, I mean, Living Single is the one I've watched the most of. Martin is a good example, although Martin's actually pretty good. Um, the, the more like broad strokes you paint, and now we go metaphorically because we're not just talking about visually. We're also talking about the complexity of the writing and, and how much you try to make what happens in a sitcom actually approximate what would happen if these people were talking in real life and how much you make them talk in a sort of artificially simple way about things to make it easier for them to understand and how you make the characters artificially simple in order to make them easy to, easy to understand. So when like a Monique character, say, like walks out on, on, on screen, and I don't mean precious, I mean like a Monique character where she's like, I'm a sassy black woman. Um, um, she is being a stereotype on one, in one sense, but she's also being an iconic representation of, of an archetype, right? She's, she's going out there and she's taking on some very simple characteristics so that it is easy for the audience to immediately understand who she is, how she functions in this. And the main effect that it has is that watching the show is not as hard work. Watching the show is, is not as, as burdensome on your brain. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I mean, that's, if you're going to write about stereotypes and if you're going to take a show about a particular race, right, there's an iconography around that race. How can you use that to your advantage? Because it's part of your iconography. You, you can try to dispense with it in everything that you do, but it's a pretty heavy burden to carry, right? Like, if you're going to use it, like, use it for good, not for evil. Like, take the stock characters, put them in situations, see they, how they would behave. Like, maybe Monique's character is like, I need a man, like, da-da-da-da-da. And then she gets put in a situation where she learns that maybe, like, needing a man isn't really what she needs right now. I mean, granted, she'll probably forget that lesson before the next episode, but, like, the show isn't necessarily saying bad things about black people because it's using simplistic, iconic representations of of black stock characters. And that's what sitcoms are all about is these stock characters, stock situations, easy to digest, easy to watch. Doesn't put a lot of, put you through a lot of work. Now we would say, well, if you want to be a good person, you should work hard. This is entertainment. And also people have a limited capacity for these things. So sometimes not, not all art needs to be challenging to the audience is really what it boils down to. And I think that a lot of these like third rate sitcoms um, that cater to a niche audience because it's profitable for them to, um, are simple because they want to be they want to be culinary as as Bertolt Brecht would say like they want to be consumable they want to be commodified right and that's that's what they're doing and they're a break they're a rest they're what you watch after work they're not supposed to be hard I mean does that make sense I ranted for a long time there but I hope that that sort of gets around to the point um, I, don't know, that, I mean you got, you got a little more detail Pete 
Can I go into more detail? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that, damn, I mean, Tina! Damn! <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, In the House is another one, which is like LL Cool J is like the hot guy and everybody wants LL Cool J, right? And like, you've instantly you know set the up... Ladies, the ladies love Cool J. They, they look Cool James, they do. Um, and like, it's pretty simple. Every episode you go into, it's the same thing as Who's the Boss. It's really not that different. He just happens to be black, right? And so, as opposed to Italian. And so the characteristics that you give him that are stereotypical, part of the reasons why stereotypes are so insi- ins- uh, insidious is that they do have a, a good positive function in our ability to tell stories. So even if we try to get rid of them, they tend to creep up anyway. And I think it's a mistake to dismiss the actual utility that you get from a stereotype in all situations, which is why it's not just as simple as saying, let's not be racist ever, right? Because there are times in which this way of thinking does creep into his thing. And one more thing I'll say really fast is that it's, it's wrong to assume that minorities themselves do not have preconceived notions and stereotypes about their own races, and that there isn't a certain amount of pleasure for them to see those played out on screen, right? There, it's especially tragic when, as a person who's a member of an ethnic minority or an identity minority, a religious minority, when you come to believe your, the own, your own hype, believe the hype that is out there about you. But it is part of the way that prejudice functions. It isn't just like I, as a white person, am saying bad things about you and we have a conspiracy to be mean to you. It's that because we spread it through the culture of which we're all a part, you come to believe these things yourself. Now, and part of entertainment and part of performance is exploring these things that we already believe about ourselves. So to, to think that it's sort of an active, uh, that, 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 you know, black people don't participate in the stereotypes about black people is actually more racist than the reality, right? Like this assumption that white people are even capable of controlling the brains of black people. You know what I mean? Like, like they have their own ideas about themselves that are somewhat informed by their circumstances. Yeah, and sometimes oh yeah, yeah. Bad for, which, and- for which see the Dave Chappelle show, like for pretty much any episode of. I mean, yeah, Chappelle is, Chappelle is a great example of all of this. I mean, if you think about Chappelle's characters and the way that they're very iconic, like think about the, the blind Klansman character. Like he's not an yep. imitation of a real person, right? Like uh, Tyrone Biggums is a great example of a very iconic character. He's, he has performative influence from minstrelsy, right? Um, but he's saying – politically, he's saying something quite a bit different than what's minstrelsy. But – are you are you offended by the simplistic way in which that character is written? I don't think you are. I think what Sean is seeing is that Dave Chappelle is really, really good at making simple characters, and whoever's writing in the house or living single um, – I haven't watched Tyler Perry's House of Pain very much. I suspect it's probably better than those two, which I tend to find the writing on to be pretty bad, especially living single. I, I, I don't know why I ever watched as much of that show as I did, but like Queen Latifah was never given anything really interesting to say. Um, at any rate, um, you know, it, those people are not as good at taking iconic representations of characters and turning them into a robust entertainment that challenges us without making things difficult for us. You know, that it sort of gives us a lot to think about without making it less than easy to watch um, and, and making it less than consumable. So it's sort of like it, it's how you can – it's one of the ways that you can talk about things like The Daily Show and The Colbert Report functioning as both entertainment and as news um, because there's a degree to which they're, they're purposefully simple in order to be more fun to watch and more easy to watch than, than things that don't make jokes and, and, uh, and play off of our preconceived notions as much. So. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, damn Gina. <laughs> I mean, I, that's my take on the black sitcom. Uh, I haven't watched George Lopez. I watched the Carlos Mencia show a lot um, when it was on TV. Uh, although that was a sketch show. 
Um, Pete, but, tell us it was more st- things. Tell us more things that you watch. More things that I watch on television? Like like ethnic shows? Yeah, just, just I mean, keep listing things. Just keep listing things? Look, you guys can jump in at any point. Like, I, I'm trying my best to make up for the fact let's, that I wasn't... Uh, let's, let, let's let the listeners jump in. Uh, Sean continues, I saw a TED Talk with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs in which he discussed how we, are, uh, how we as a society have declared war on work and how one front in this war is the media... Uh, there's a number mismatch in there. I, I mean, it should be like, you know, the, are the media, but never mind. Uh, working people are portrayed in the media uh, at large as jokes or, or heroes uh, as, or as idiots, I would say, Sean. Wow, you're, you're pretty political, Sean. You're politically committed. Uh, also noted that in many high school shows, it's always the dumb kids who are in shop class. Going to trade school is considered an option for those who aren't smart enough to go to university. Thoughts? Well, Sean, my thought is this. You're right on board with me because I recommended everyone check out that TED Talk on, uh, on, on Labor Day. I think it was our Labor Day episode, and I said, you know, in honor of our in, in honor of our uh, working working people. Look, you know, I I think that we have have totally lost respect for the trades, and I think it's going to come back to bite us in the ass. I mean, not to be not to be bathetic or anything, not to like jump from the sublime to the ridiculous, but have you tried getting a plumber? You know, have you tried calling a plumber, getting your toilet fixed? It's it's next to impossible to get done. We don't have the the, the trades, electricians, uh, skilled carpenters. You know, like the and and right there's and our our president has an, a, announced this like big push for infrastructure, for electrical infrastructure, say, uh, to do with energy and you know the smart grid and things like this. We just don't have the electricians in this country to do it. You know, you know who does have the electricians? The Asians. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Hitler. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it usually is Hitler. The, the, Mike, the Mike Rowe talk is also a good one because he brings up uh, anagnorisis and peripatia, two, two <laughs> topics in, in Greek, uh, Greek writing, Greek tragedy that we little, discuss pretty frequently on this podcast. That we discuss pretty frequently on this podcast. So if you want... Like a sort of capsule summary of what those things are about. That talk is a good introduction to them. Ooh, peripatea. I love it. Uh, it's also got right. some incredible <laughs> yeah, imagery way, way about to quote uh, the play that I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Mark. No, I was just saying that 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 particular talk also has some great uh, discussion of castrating sheep in it as well. So, uh, if you like that kind of thing, definitely check it out. That was the oh. best castrating sheep TED talk I watched all year. Second best. That <laughs> <laughs> I loved all year. All right. Aiden well, writes in. Aiden, give us a city. Give us a city or a latitude and longitude. Uh, Aiden writes in. I'm quite the lazy person, though after your Steven, Steven Seagal movie title extravaganza, I was inspired. I've decided to leave you a voicemail consisting uh, of as many Tilda Swinton movie titles as I could. But I'm lazy. It's okay. End of message. We will. We will. Uh, <laughs> end, of, end of message. We will fill uh, in the. <laughs> we will fill in the. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, Aiden. Aiden, it's okay. We've we've made an adaptation of your voicemail, so we're going to, you know, we're going to to take it on as as young Adam did in the. See, it doesn't work with Tilda Swinton because her movies aren't as well known. Like no, I, I just no. dropped two in there and, and, and didn't get a single didn't get a single tee 
not a titter. <laughs> Didn't get a single what? what? A harp. Uh, the, oh, because you made the statement under a vanilla sky. <laughs> well, what you did was jump into the deep end of a strange culture, Constantine. <laughs> See, what we, what we don't know is that the reason Pete went on so long there is because he was working in as many Tilda Swinton titles as he could, but we didn't recognize any of them. <laughs> Guys, you have to understand the limits of control here, all right? <laughs> as my friend Julia said to my other friend, Michael Clayton, about this strange culture that we all live in, you know, start as thumb suckers, and, and then you, you, you grow up and you just go off into the deep end to explore all these possible worlds, and the protagonists of your little story are in a war zone. I mean, yes, there are female perversions that you're going to come across, and even a certain amount of techno lust will leave you blue. Uh, I mean, but as my as my German friends always used to say, "Das Offen Universum." Am I right? Am I right? But enough, under siege, just, under siege two, under mar- mercenary for justice. Lives. Hard to kill, hard target. <laughs> Look, this is not man to man. All right, like like. Like, uh, playing something about the, the last of England and degrees of blindness. I mean, okay, look, if I'm going to keep going, this is going to be friendship's death, all right? So I'm going to have to... Aiden, I hope we did... Look, guys, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin. Aiden, I hope... Sorry, I read the next email. I hope we did it for you. Uh, Tim writes in, again with no... Uh, <laughs> Again, with no address. Uh, I was reading your art, guys. You have to, uh, you you have to identify yourself as like I'm Matt from Los Angeles, right? And I could give you, and I give you my latitude and longitude. You you gotta, you know, give yourself a name. And if you're correcting us about something, what you have to include the words, well, actually, in in your in your message, and uh, say them like that. If you leave a uh, if you leave a voicemail, Tim writes in. I was just reading your article about the Starship Reliant, and was reminded of something that's other, always bothered me. Oh, this gets good, Tim. You are an honorary overthinker here. Isn't that the wrong word for a starship name? Didn't they intend a word <laughs> meaning something more like reliable? Reliant means to rely on others. I think of starships as self-sufficient vessels able to go into deepest space and take care of business on their own. Can Can you imagine the whining on the hailing frequency? Hello? Anybody? This is the Reliant... Can somebody come help us out again? <laughs> Tim, you uh, you uh, make an excellent point, and I think you should forward that on. You should write a letter to the editors of Star Trek. Mm. Uh, oh, and Tim continues. Has anyone else pointed, it, pointed this out? Maybe I'm just overthinking it. Tim, you are overthinking it, and to that I say, welcome home, my brother. <laughs> doesn't doesn't the reliant come up in uh, which movie which movie is it undiscovered country number six uh two wrath of khan really oh that's right yeah. that's right uh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, the one, one that that khan uh, hijacks okay so yeah the reliant did rely on others it needed the enterprise to to come and save it from the people who'd hijacked it so it is in fact a an apt name Ah, uh, so there's your well. You should have said, John. Well, actually, well, actually, well, no, you're not disagreeing with him. I think he's saying that it's it was kind of a poor choice to name that starship that in the first place, unless oh, yeah, that was your intent the whole time to get it like hijacked by Khan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you can contrast it to the Defiant, of course. 
which is uh, which is different from the Reliant in that it doesn't follow your rules, man. And it rolls up its cigarettes and puts it in its shirt sleeve. It is wrong to call a ship the Defiant if it's going to supposed to be listening to military orders. But I guess they just gave up on that before it even started. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah, going to go that, with this one. Yeah, I mean, isn't that isn't that funny? The kind of the the dual uh, take on on defiance that, like, in on the one hand, it's good to be an individual, and on the other hand, in a chain of command, it's a terrible thing. I've always been astounded by like the notion that freedom is like freedom from our enemies not being dead. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so, I think I might, cause I, yeah, never mind. I think, I think the best uh, the best example of this was uh, the ending of Star Trek Four. You know when uh, when Kirk at uh, Alia come back to Earth and uh, beam the humpback whales into the Pacific Ocean so that they can uh, communicate with the probe that is uh, searching for humpback whales and destroying Earth. Yes, that one. I think yes. that uh, you know he's chastised for um, following orders, and it, he says uh, you know, and his uh, his judge or whatever says you know the admiral. Uh, understands well the necessity for maintaining discipline in any chain of command, and yet uh, the judge goes on to say, but your insubordination saved humanity from its own short-sightedness uh, and lack of environmentalism back in, you know, 1984. Okay, moving right along. Moving right along. We're skipping a question about V. Uh, that comes from one of our, one of our uh, listeners from the... Um, uh, from the Kingdom of Loathing podcast. Hey, Kingdom of Loathing folks. Uh, it's great that there's so much uh, crossover in our shows. Love the Kingdom of Loathing. An adventurer is you. See, I would be so good at doing commercials. Anyone want to advertise something um, on, our, on our show? I'll do a commercial. We'll give you a reasonable I don't know, but this Philly cream cheese spread is so luscious, let me just tell you. So luscious. That's $35 per 1,000 downloads. Uh, skipping the, oh, something about Mad Men also. I'd love to go into Mad Men, but this is more the general overthinking it uh, podcast. So, uh, though we had the Mad Men, uh, Mad Men supplement when we, when the, the thing ended. Um, Sean in Philly. No, let's do this one, John. Let's do Sean in Philly. Um, he says, uh, uh, have you ever had a piece of art in mind for a column, but not been able to come uh, up with an angle for overthinking it? Like, no matter how hard you try, you couldn't think of something interesting to say about a given movie or TV show. Uh, if that's true, what do you have to say? What, what, what does that have to say about the work? Um, You've been able to find some interesting takes on pretty vapid material. The My Little Pony movie, for instance. So how... <laughs> Congratulations, Pete. So how empty and pointless does a film have to be to be unoverthinkable? That is Sean from Philly. You know, Sean, it says something more about the writer than it does about the... Um, about the... Uh, uh, about the work itself, right? Uh, I'll, I'll answer the question. I'll say, Sean, I've... I've had more trouble coming up with angles to overthink really literate and deep material, but really shallow material isn't an issue. Like, for instance, I don't know that I could write a piece overthinking The Wire because, you know, our our wheelhouse is subjecting popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve, and The Wire inherently deserves scrutiny. Like, it practically demands it, whereas something like, you know, My Little Pony or Transformers, they're... There's nothing there, so you can you can bring pretty much 
any interpretation to it and add some some depth and value to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the wire, the wire is extremely um, morally and sociologically serious. Right. Right. And I, I think with an analysis of the wire, the pressure, I would feel the pressure to get it right. Whereas if I say that, you know, Transformers is a metaphor for the Industrial Revolution having having bitten us in the ass and our own technological hubris coming back to haunt us. You know, even if Michael Bay never intended that, it's it's not hard to find support for that in the text. Or uh, or that uh, fantastic Shana's contention that fantastic Mr. Fox is about the penis. Right. You know that there's there's no there's not going to be a lot of argument there. Whereas something like The Wire or Mad Men, you kind of feel you have to get right. It's like there there is an interpretation we're searching for it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, Pete. Oh, um, so there's a certain irony to this question, um, and the irony is that the My Little Pony post that I wrote, I actually couldn't finish and put aside for six months before I came back to it and finished it off. So um, so it's interesting that he brings up that one as saying, well, you successfully managed to overthink this, and this was really hard. I did find the My Little Pony piece really hard, but the pieces that I find hard to write – are different, I think, than maybe the pieces you guys find are hard to write because I never think that the pieces that I'm writing about my topics are going to be um, exhaustive, like that I'm never going to actually overthink something to its conclusion. That that even so, even a simple piece of art, to be an artist, you have to incorporate so many different complex operations of the mind and body that um, there's going to be tons to talk about, even if it's like a simple, a simple act of like drinking some water. I'm kind of an actor douchebag, sorry, D-bag, um, in, in that sense because of that. But the pieces that I find really hard... Is douche hard, a bad word? I don't know. You said that, that the P-word P was bad before. I'm a little bit confused as to what bad words are on this podcast now, so I'm trying to be a little bit courteous. Um, <laughs> but the, the stuff that I find really hard to overthink and write about is the stuff that I feel really strongly about. The stuff that I that I feel like matters to me or that I have a really deep history with where I feel like I have something that I really, really want and need to say um, that's specific. Because if I, if I sit down and I want to overthink – like, for example, I'm writing – I'm working on a piece right now about The Little Mermaid that will come out at some point. Um, and – to sit down and write about The Little Mermaid, I can write about any number of a million things, and if I get to some part where it's stuck, I can take it off in a different direction, uh, right? The only times when I can't do that are when I feel strongly enough about what I want to write that I can't change course, that I have to write this thing that I want to write, and um, which is why it was, say, easy to write about Avatar because I don't really give a crud about Avatar, um, but it's but I'm having a lot of trouble writing the Lionel Richie piece that I want to write for next week because it's something where I want to say something that's really specific and I don't have the option of saying something that's easier or funnier because I feel like it's important. And uh, this is based, Matt, also on that wonderful book that you lent me, that War of Art book um, that you actually you gave it to me, right? Yeah. Did you want, do you want it back? No, no, back? no. I have I have my own. Okay, good. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. A wonderful, wonderful book. The War and of he, Art. Recommended to yeah. everyone. Buy it through the Amazon he, link so yeah. we get a kickback. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things he says is that writer's block is a result of loving the work too, uh, not too much, but loving the work. That what you want to do is something that you love, and you get to the point where you hit this resistance to get it done. And it's partially because you're afraid about how much it will change you to actually complete this thing. And, and part of it is that, like, because it matters, it makes it hard to write. 
Um, so I would say that, like, actually, it, it would be very, very hard to make a piece that is so dumb that you can't write something about it because, at the very least, you could write about how dumb it is and you can write about what it doesn't do, right? And it's, it's, it's hard to write an adequate piece about something that's very complicated. As John said, um, it will take a long time and it will be a long piece. Like, my, my up piece was very hard because up is very complicated. Um, but it, I, I didn't feel like I really couldn't do it. Like, I wasn't up to it. It was just a matter of time and energy and commitment. Ah, uh, wasn't up to it up up to it fair enough fair enough but the hardest ones to overthink about are the ones that are so near and dear to your heart that you have to say one specific thing about them um and i don't know i don't know if mark feels that way about terminator sometimes where he's oh like yeah sputtering. i was, he can't say what he wants to i was about to i was about to just bring up the example um i, I think something they talked about it last week the uh no fate but what we make the greatest terminator lie ever told piece it was very difficult to write for two reasons a because i was still gnashing my teeth of terminator salvation and how it just kind of you know kicked me in the groin but b because i I care so much about terminator and um there was a lot to write about there were a lot of ideas to get out there and i wanted to get it right um you know hopefully i did the topic some justice there well, with that piece, but uh, I told, is, I'm totally with is you. The, this is the fanboy's dilemma. Gab wrote in, it wasn't to the podcast, but Gab wrote a, uh, uh, she went to a sci-fi convention in, I guess, in Oregon. It's called Oricon, right? And uh, Gab wrote in to, um, to say, and she, she said that the, at the convention, a lot, of, a lot of times it came up again and again, uh, what is it to be... Uh, a fan of something while also despising it a little bit like like terminator salvation was the the um or like daredevil is another good one that uh, example that that she gave you know i'm a fan of daredevil but i dislike the movie daredevil and i think that's i think that's not a hard conundrum to think your way out of right it's like i'm a fan of something the thing that i'm a fan of is not entirely coextensive with the thing that i despise right terminator has a greater meaning uh for Mark and I mean, and for everyone, um, than the Terminator Salvation movie, and you know, right? Like great. Yeah, thank God, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, great bits of popular culture establish a world, right? They they sort of project a set of values or a set of concerns, and you can identify. Uh, you can identify concerns with uh, you can identify with the concerns in an abstract way or uh, at a high level of abstraction without thinking any particular instance is really ideal for um, you know for airing those concerns. Anyway, uh, this also well no I'm not, I'm going to skip it. Let's uh, let's push on because we are we are getting near the end. Um, well, we did get a voicemail. I forgot it. Robin called in to recommend a book uh, that that I have owned and read called "The Conquest of Cool" by Thomas Frank. Uh, he he's the guy I think who wrote "What's the Matter with Kansas," right? And uh, thank you, Robin, yeah. for uh, for for doing that. That this is a um, that this is a book that uh, that uh, the overthinkers might like. I can say that I can add my endorsement to that, and you should buy through the thing. And um, and another book recommendation. Uh, Sean writes in from uh, oh, doesn't give a location. Latitude and longitude. Oh no no no, uh, Canada. Uh, Forty five degrees, uh, sixty minutes north, sixty six degrees four minutes west. Thank you, Sean. Finally, someone does it right. He recommends the book Planet Simpson, How a Cartoon Masterpiece Documented an Era and Defined a Generation. Uh, 
book examines the show's satirical humor, its impact on pop culture, and looks at numerous episodes of the show. Uh, says it's at 450 pages. It it uh, looks and reads like a textbook. And he also uh, he also offers to uh, send a copy to us, the Overthinker. Sean, keep your book. We will buy a copy uh, for ourselves to uh, to support the great overthinking of the people who who did it. But Sean also uh, throws in some um, some nice little notes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read these. Hey all, first wanted to say I'm happy to hear Mr. Parrish on episode 70. I missed him on the podcast. He adds a slightly more mature sound slash tone to the <laughs> damn mature well, uh-uh. Suck it. Suck it. Come That is that. Um, yes. so one, one thing I want to jump into there quickly is that um, just going back to the previous conversation we're having about things that are difficult to overthink, I think we're setting ourselves up for something pretty challenging, which is overthinking The Simpsons uh, coming up. A, because, you know, it's been overthought. I think it, it, it's not to the level of the wire, but it does certainly. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, exactly. Disturb, like books like The Philosophy of the Simpsons, The Doe of Homer, you know, the whole. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's gone up, up one side and down the other. But also, oh, sorry, Mark, I'm about to make your point for you. You make it. No, no, that was basically that was basically just it. Right? This is, that. I mean, The Simpsons belongs to the Wire camp, right? Like because these are some very, very, very smart writers, uh, being you know being satirical and trying to make uh, trying to make a point. Uh, you know, I, I will say what I was going to say before, which is that this relates back to Pete. What Pete said uh, before, like not all entertainment is meant to make you think. Some entertainment is just is you know iconic and just kind of meant to uh, give you the bare minimum so that you can enjoy yourself and is not uh, is not out to tax your brain any more than that. I mean, The Simpsons is one that rewards, I think, or at least in, in former years has rewarded coming to it with, uh, with your brain switched into the on position. Anyway, Sean... Uh, right, but can't be enjoyed on a... But can be enjoyed... Sorry, this is the last thing on this. But can be enjoyed uh, just sort of a face value as well, too, right? I mean, if you think about the spectrum of things where... Like, I think that's, you know, why it's a, that's why it's a fantastic show, right? Yeah. Because... Like, like, um, like, I, yeah, King of Queens is on one end of the spectrum. The Wire is on way on the other end of the spectrum. We got Simpsons kind of comfortably in the middle, vacillating back and forth. To, to, well, or that it has a it has a feet it has a foot on both uh, both sides. It really straddles the d- divide. But, you know, I mean, I think it's important to make a distinction between things that are meant to be difficult to understand versus things that are worth attempting to understand. Because making something difficult is not the same. Th- difficult or easy is not the same thing as giving it subtext and substance or not giving it subtext and substance. I'm reminded of, you know, W.B. Yeats and Adam's curse, the, the idea that, um, you know, we must labor to be beautiful, we must work hard in order for things to look easy. Um, so I think it's, a, it's an easy false correlation to assume that things that look like they're supposed to be digested and not thought through don't have something you can drill down to and reward yourself and, and learn about by, by doing that. I mean, I don't think that they're consistent and dependent on each other. That um, a simple show can reward overthinking and be easy to watch. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a whole. I mean, uh, it gets very. It gets very complicated. I mean, there's a whole complex yeah. of uh, of issues around it in terms of what the intention of the show is, what the sort of consequences of the show are. Anyway, uh, Sean. Uh, Sean ends with a postscript. Uh, P.S. With the enjoyable podcast, I've managed to get a lot more walking in, and I'm starting to see a loss of myself in the positive way. So thank you for that as well. Hey, Sean. We're we're pleased to serve. We live to serve. We're happy to serve. 
Uh, and please, please note that this podcast has not been FDA certified for use in weight loss. Right. right yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we make no claims well, we, for the medicinal. This podcast does not, you know, cure <laughs> any syndromes. And these, uh, okay. these statements have not been evaluated. <laughs> I think I'm actually getting his unwanted pounds in a sort of Dorian Gray fashion. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to stop walking right now. It's winter. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Sean and Josh are connected. It's winter. I mean, it's time to put on weight. Guys, I have one tip of a flat belly. You can cut down three pounds of your belly every week by using this one weird old tip. Yes. Ah. <laughs> ah. The, Sorry, the language on that is so weird. It's it like, what, what does it mean to have a tip of a belly? That it, just that weird word choice gets in my head and won't leave. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the idea. Um, all right. Well, Sean, we're glad, uh, we're glad to serve glad, uh, we, we want to promote the health of our listeners so that they will, uh, listen more to the podcast and tell their friends about it. Uh, our, 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 not that you care about things like this or should, but our numbers have kind of plateaued in, in, uh, the last couple months. And we want more people to hear about the overthinking and, uh, to call into the show and write in and things like this. We want to spread our gospel of overthinking, uh, to the world. I speak of the overthinker who is to come after me, the one whose, uh, can of jolt cola I am not worthy to uh, crack the tab on. Uh, so if you want to bring that overthinker about, one thing you can do, a thing that I only really talk about on the listener feedback episodes, is donate to the show. It costs money to host the uh, to host the website, to deal with the traffic and bandwidth that comes in, to deal with the bandwidth of downloading podcasts, which runs into the, the uh, hundreds of gigabytes a week. Um, you know, and that, yeah, that all costs money. And, uh, right now we're not quite almost, almost breaking even, uh, with the incredible generosity of our listeners. We break even, uh, every three, six months when the, the, uh, bills come due. So, uh, if you like the show, if you want to support it with a gift of cash money, you can, uh, go to the site overthinkingit.com and you can, uh, click on the donate button, which is in the sidebar. Also near the donate button in the sidebar. Bar, you'll find a link to Amazon, which is an affiliate link, and we get a kickback. You don't pay any more, and yet we get some percentage of whatever uh, you buy on Amazon. And since you overthinkers are always buying movies, books, television shows on DVD, downloads, music, all kinds of things, uh, you know, you must be frequent Amazon users. And you can support the site without any cost to yourself just by using that link. Someone bought, someone bought rather an expensive drum set as a Christmas present on the, uh, on the Amazon link. Thank you to whoever that person was. You paid our, uh, you paid our hosting bills for a month. It was very, very nice. Wait, 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 wait. Someone bought you a, a drum set? No, someone bought a drum set for themselves. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought I heard someone bought rather a drum set, like you were referring to yourself. Yeah, you, 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 you did phrase it that way, which was a little odd, rather. I guess, yeah, sorry. Uh, you said, you said someone bought rather an expensive drum set. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a, yes. You meant a rather expensive drum set is what you meant. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I guess there isn't really a rule about separating the article from the noun the way there is with uh, separating the, you know, the two from the rest of the infinitive. But, uh, but you know, I'm a pedant. So, um, you know, use the Amazon link. Uh, if you want a T-shirt, buy one on our Zazzle store. You need you need be naked no longer. You can buy T-shirts. <laughs> our finest selling point. 
<laughs> and uh, well, I stole that from a, from another online store. I hate to say. And uh, if you can, if you're in the position this holiday season to donate us some cash money, we uh, we appreciate that as well to keep the show going. I mean, come on, we are not even taking a break for this, the holidays. I mean, the site is taking a break, but this podcast will continue. Ah. In the meantime, between episodes, you still should check out the site. What site, you ask? It's www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably does not deserve.